Hi there. I'm Lee Redhead, a writer and member of Sisters in Crime Australia. Welcome to Scarlet Stiletto Bites, scintillating short stories by Australian women. Our weekly podcast is designed for busy lives. Each murder mystery is short, but not always sweet. Expect twisted tales, quirky humour, imagination, and a frisson of feminism. Sisters in Crime Australia's Scarlet Stiletto Awards were established in 1994 to unearth criminal literary talent. We're producing these podcasts of winning stories to celebrate the sisters' 30th anniversary ceremony in Melbourne in late 2023. The concept designer and narrator is fellow sister, actor, barrister, broadcaster, and best-selling true crime author, Susanna Lopez. Hello, Susanna here. Domestic mistreatment comes in many forms. And if our partner says, it's all a practical joke, that's gaslighting. So how does one fight back? Find out in today's story. Locked out, locked in, locked up. By Rowena Harding-Smith. 2017 Scarlet Stiletto Award. I'm at the front door, turning the handle, pushing on the brass plate, expecting it to swing open so I can go back inside. The door doesn't move. It's locked. I bang the lion's head knocker and the thuds echo down the hall as if the house is deserted. It isn't. The rest of the family is in there. The kids are in their bedrooms, sleeping, which is what I want to be doing. Jason is in there. God knows what he's doing. I'm tired, hot, sticky and so over today. I only remembered it was garbage night while trying to squeeze more rubbish into the kitchen tidy. I called out to Jason, but naturally he didn't reply. We missed the collection last week, so there was no option for me but to trudge out to the street with the overflowing bin. While I was outside, Jason closed the door and locked it. Now I feel stupid because I should have been prepared. This is exactly Jason's idea of fun. And when I'm caught out, like tonight, it proves I'm not as smart as he is. I press my ear to the glass panel and hear water gurgling. He's taking a shower so he can pretend not to hear me knocking. I plod around to the back door, pushing past the drooping hydrangeas. They would be panting if they had tongues, but the air is musty and heavy with rain, so they won't be drooping for long. I turn the handle. No luck. I couldn't wriggle in a window, but even if it looks open, it has a deadbolt halfway up the frame, so I might not be able to fit. I don't always push the pins in, though, especially in the laundry. I need a breeze when the dryer is pumping. I hate the deadbolts. They make me feel trapped. I only use them because Jason will blame me if there is another robbery. 
When we bought this house, I initially refused to install them. A week later, we had a break-in, and then it became all my fault, even though I was the only one to lose anything. The thief climbed through a window and stole my jewellery, rings, bracelets, and the cameo his mother gave me to wear on my wedding dress. Jason was as angry as if I'd tossed them onto the road. If the laundry window is open, I can stand on the outdoor table and, and clamour in over the soaking school uniforms. It will be messy, but better than being stuck in the garden. <sighs> He's still in the shower. He'll be pink and wrinkled as a prune when he gets out. The laundry is closed and pinned, as are all the other windows. How could Jason have locked everything so quickly? I've only been out here for a few minutes, putting the garbage bins on the curb. But of course, I also sorted the recycling. And I stand for a few minutes in the carport, looking at the clouds, breathing. I've probably been out here longer than I thought. Still, securing the house is not a quick process. Every morning it takes me 9 minutes and 30 seconds to bolt all the windows and doors. That's 9 minutes and 30 seconds of my life I'll never get back. But I'll do anything for a quiet life. Some days I work from home just so I don't have to lock the house. A fat drop of rain splashes on my head. Looks like I'll be showering outside while he showers inside. The bastard. He must be laughing. I return to the carport. The harbour looks beautiful from here. There's no moon tonight, so the Iron Cove Bridge is a white streak across the inky water. The reflections waver and undulate with the shadow of a boat running dark. I can hear a mechanical drone probably his hairdryer, so I sprint up the path and begin pressing the bell incessantly. The light turns off in the bathroom and on in the bedroom. I wait, huddled under the eaves. He always complains that I never give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe locking me out was an accident. If he really doesn't know I'm outside... He will at least notice I'm not in bed. The light switches off in the bedroom and my heart sinks. He's going to leave me out here. I hammer on the etched panels with my fists, willing the glass to smash. I pick up a piece of sandstone edging. It's heavy and rough, but if I put it through the door... I will have to stay behind tomorrow to wait for the glazier and clean up the mess of broken glass and band-aid the kids' feet after they walk through it. I toss the rock back in the garden. My options now are to wake one of the children or go next door and use their phone to ring Jason. But they'd be curious and I'm too angry to make excuses for him. He must not have realised I was outside. Yeah, right. The rain is coming down in sheets and I suddenly remember hiding a spare key under a rock near the carport. Hopefully any redbacks or funnel webs will be sheltering from the rain and 
not lurking in the garden. In the front yard, I turn over stones, but it's, it's hard to see. My, my hair is dripping in my eyes. I take shelter in the carport. As I lean against Jason's jag, the door moves behind me and my body goes soft with relief. The car is unlocked. The door wasn't even closed. I sink into the driver's seat. If necessary, I can sleep here. Or I can blast the horn, stuff the neighbours. Or I can continually slam the boot. He'll hear the heavy thudding, even through the noise of the rain, and be worried. He loves his jag. But for someone so obsessed with security, he's surprisingly careless with it. As I'm waiting for the storm to ease, Sophie stumbles barefoot down the path. Mum? She mumbles, peering in the window, her breath fogging the glass. I climb out of the car. (laughs) I left my key inside. She nods and we dash up the path to the house. Thanks. I kiss the top of her head and brush the rain from her curls. The bedroom is dark. He pretends to sleep, even when I switch on the light, and tell him in my most controlled voice that he shut me outside. I'm trying not to shout and frighten Sophie. His eyes stay closed. You locked me out! I shriek in his ear. He rolls over and stares at me, then turns away. It's pointless trying to discuss anything with him. I drop my wet clothes on the floor and climb into bed. He's lying with his back to me. I check the time. It's 11.20, so there's no risk of him wanting sex. He's only interested in sex at three minutes past 11, not a minute before or after, and it always lasts exactly 20 minutes. I fall asleep quickly because... It's better than thinking. In the morning I wake as he tosses his trousers across the bed and the heavy belt buckle cracks against my shins. I bite my lip to stop crying out. I'll have bruises today because I slept in. If I'd woken earlier, I would have made sure my legs were hanging over the side of the bed safe. It's my fault if the buckle hits me. I know it's coming. You locked me out last night, I say, massaging my legs. He stares at me in the mirror while adjusting his tie. No, I didn't, he says calmly. You did? Sophie let me back in. He saunters out of the room without answering. In the kitchen, I repeat, You locked me out. I didn't he says, reading the news on his phone. He snaps the cover shut and picks up his lunchbox. Oh, time for me to save some lives, he states, smiling. It is 25 minutes past seven. This is when he leaves every morning, even when his shift at the hospital starts at ten. I'm folding the washing when I find it. The cameo at the back of his underwear drawer. I was late doing the washing this week, so 
Most of his undies were dirty and the drawer was nearly empty. As I stacked his T-shirts at the back of the drawer, I felt the rigid edge of something inside a sock. Curious, I shook it. It rattled. I turned it out and jewellery fell across the bed. My rings. My bracelets. The cameo. I held it up to the light. It was translucent, beautiful, the profile serene and contemplative. I choked on bile. I shoved it all back and slammed the drawer. That evening, I deliberately leave my keys on the kitchen bench while I take the bottles outside to the recycling bin and I put his bulky wallet of car and house keys in my pocket. I spend a few minutes in the garden bed, between the hydrangeas, watching Jason hurry through the house, locking the doors and pinning the windows. I hadn't realised before how unimaginative he is. At the end of our road is a public boat ramp leading to the harbour. It's a poorly lit place favoured by lovers and drug dealers. I hear a motorboat rev. I see a dark shape accelerate away from the ramp towards Iron Cove Bridge. The wash foams at my feet as I step through the shallows. I've timed my arrival perfectly. I walk to a car parked in the shadows under a tree, facing the road, ready for a quick getaway. One dealer has his head in the boot, sorting parcels wrapped in white paper, and the other one lounges against the open car door. He gives a signal as I arrive, and the boot slams shut. They both stare at me. I stare back and hand them money. The smaller of the men counts it and nods as it goes into his pocket. Ten past eleven tonight, he confirms. I jog back through the carport and click open the jag. Serve him right if someone steals his car. The entry door is locked again, but I don't bother pretending I can't get in. I slam it behind me. Jason is in the study checking bank balances on his computer. He ignores me. My keys are not on the kitchen bench where I left them, so I place his where mine were and go to bed. I'll find them in the morning. They'll be at the bottom of the washing basket or behind the frozen peas in the freezer or in some other unlikely spot. I'm in bed dozing when... Jason switches on the light. What's this? he shouts, jabbing at an item on our joint account bank statement, waving the paper in my face. Uh, I don't know, I rub my eyes, trying to focus through the white glare. You don't know, he says, voice dripping. You've forgotten what you've bought? Huh, maybe you've got early onset Alzheimer's. Some internet companies have weird names, I mutter, glancing at the bedside clock. 11pm, right on time. Jason pulls down the sheet and drops onto bed. You can make it up to me, he says, 
squeezing my breast. Twenty-three minutes later, Jason slides off me and begins to snore. Twenty minutes of noisy, distracting sex. I should be grateful, and I am, but not for the reasons he would imagine. In the morning, I lift my legs just in time to avoid the trousers thudding across the bed. I don't need any more bruises. I have enough. I prepare the kids for school. Jason eats and then drives to work. After he leaves, I use the new prepaid mobile I bought from the internet company with the weird name to make a call. Then I look for my keys. I check all the usual places without luck. Jason has taken them to work. The windows are still bolted from his efforts the night before, so we are locked in. It's better than I could have hoped. I tell the kids they have the day off school. They celebrate by challenging each other to a computer game. They enjoy these locked-in days. In the past when he did this, by accident, I used to think, I begged him to send the keys home with a courier. But the only courier that ever arrived was Jason at 7pm with my keys still in his pocket. I had some spares cut. The kids don't know I have a spare, nor do I want them to know, in case they accidentally tell him. While they're engrossed in their game, I slip out and toss the new mobile phone off the cliff into the harbour. I watch the sun glint on its silver case as it sinks into the green water. It's already hot. I go home and force myself to change into shorts and a singlet. It's been years since I wore anything other than pants and long-sleeved shirts. In the mirror, my legs are ridged crimson with green and yellow blotches. I don't look at my arms. Jason rings me two hours later on the landline, but I'm logged on to work and let the call go to voicemail. He keeps calling, his messages becoming increasingly hysterical. An hour later, I answer. I've been arrested! He shouts over my greeting. Come to the police station now with your debit card. I need bail. The police found cocaine in my boot. I'm silent. It was a tip-off. His voice falters. They're, They're saying I offered cocaine to a patient. I would never do that. You must believe me. I do believe him. But I tell him I can't come to the police station. My keys are missing and I'm locked inside the house with the children. Perhaps he could check his pockets and send a courier. Or maybe he can ask the police to come around and let us out. The end. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love your feedback. Subscribe for free to Scarlet Stiletto Bites wherever you get podcasts. And do visit our website, sistersincrime.org.au.